Jesus says, you will be hated by all because of me. But not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The disciples, they, they are just like us. And we... They're just like the disciples. They've spent years with Jesus. They've listened to him tell story after story. They've witnessed countless miracle after miracle. They've even had their bellies filled with loaves and fishes time and time again. They've seen him parade into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey of all things. But sometimes, even being around the Messiah can't explain everything. And the disciples, they are confused. Their Lord has talked openly and frighteningly about the great overthrowing of all things. You know, the whole, the first will be last and the last will be first. Now here they are in the shadow of the temple in Jerusalem. The very thing Jesus has said that he has come to destroy. And the disciples, they cover up their confusion with small talk. Oh Lord, what big stones this temple has. It's like Little Red Riding Hood. Oh grandmother, what big teeth you have. They don't know what to do with it. It's like those times you're sitting at Thanksgiving and that uncle that you haven't had around for a long time, he starts talking about stuff that no one else at the table wants him to talk about. And you don't know quite what to do about it, so you just hope someone up will change the subject or someone will talk loud enough to drown him out. It's how we handle discomfort. We try to address something else. The disciples, they know that their mysterious Lord is mysterious. But he's acting even more mysterious than normal. And instead of facing the mystery, instead of walking into it, instead of engaging with it, they try their best to bring up something else. Lord, what big stones the temple has. They sound like tourists. And how does Jesus respond? Hey, guys, come close. You see all this stuff? You see the big ramparts, the towering walls? You see those guards pacing back and forth over there? You see the lines of people ready to give their money? the temple, all of this is going to disappear. Every one of these stones is going to come crashing down and there ain't nothing that nobody can do about it. This is a shocking and overwhelming claim. For many of Jesus' contemporaries, the temple was the most sure thing around. So much so that some people worship the temple instead of the temple for whom the God that for whom the temple was built. Jesus saying this, the temple is going to come crashing to the ground. It's like someone's on a tour at the White House and they say, hey, you see all this stuff? I'm going to burn it to the ground. That doesn't sound like the Lamb of God who came to die for the sins of the world. You know what that sounds like? A terrorist. Then the disciples ask the question that any of us would have asked. Lord, when will this happen? How will we know that this is taking place? What follows, what Deirdre read for us, is what we call a mini-apocalypse in the middle of the gospel. Jesus foretells, in a sense, what is to come. He warns his disciples about what this will mean for them. When things start to fall apart, be careful that you are not led astray. There are going to be a whole bunch of people who claim to be me. Or they're going to claim to speak on behalf of me. Don't listen to those fools. They wouldn't know the good news if it hit them in the face. When you hear about wars cropping up, or even the rumors of war, don't be afraid. These things have always taken place. They will always take place, nation 
will rise against nation. Kingdom will rise against kingdom. And don't even get me started on all the natural disasters, the earthquakes, the famines, the floods. But before that great disrupting occurs, you're going to get arrested. You're going to get persecuted. The powers, the principalities, they're going to hand you over to the authorities. They're going to stick you in prison. You're going to be brought in front of all those in charge because of me. And when it happens, don't worry. It will be an opportunity for you to tell them about me. So do me a favor. When you get arrested, don't waste your time coming up with the perfect speech or the perfect story. I will give you the words and the wisdom that no one in power will be able to withstand. I'm sorry because I know it's going to be rough. Some of you are going to be betrayed. Betrayed by your parents, your siblings, your friends, even your children. Some of you are going to die because of me. You will be hated because of me. So don't take it personally. But know this, in the end, all will be well. I promise. It will be well because I have destroyed death. It will be well because you will be alive with me in the resurrection. It will be well because in my kingdom, the end, it has no end. Jesus goes full-on end-of-the-world stuff here. He sounds like he's one of those guys in the street corner with a sign on his chest rambling on about the end of the world is near. To be honest, this reflection from the Lord, it has been used again and again to inflict some serious damage across the history of the church. Leaders have held these verses over the heads of Christians in order to frighten them into faith. And it doesn't work. And it shouldn't work. If you tell a teenager that unless they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, unless they do that, they're going to suffer the quenches for all eternity. You know what that leads to? Teenagers never, ever coming back to church. If you tell new parents that unless they baptize their child, the flames of hell will be their everlasting reward. You know what that does? It certainly doesn't make parents come back to church. You know what it does? It makes them go home and write on Facebook. Never, ever, 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 ever go to this church. You tell old people at the end of their life, you just need to give a little bit more money to church so that you can have your reward in heaven. You know what results in? The pews being emptier and emptier on Sunday morning. Frightening people into faith doesn't work, and it shouldn't work. Jesus' declarations here, they're not meant as a description of the nightmare of discipleship. It's about what he's about to do. It's about what he has done for us. The world's passion is caught up in Jesus' passion. And by passion, I mean the suffering that leads to a new cosmos, a new creation. What we miss in the church, what we have often overlooked, is that what Jesus gets into here is not a catalog of all the bad that's awaiting us. Instead, it's Jesus painting a picture of a dying and rising Lord who reigns in the midst of a world that's falling apart. Jesus saves the world in its death. Jesus saves us in his death. But we are so afraid of death that we choose to believe it has to be something else. Oh, Jesus, he's a great moral teacher. Jesus, he's a great ethical teacher. We don't want to talk about Jesus dying. It's why tons of people come to church on Easter and almost nobody comes to church on Good Friday. We want resurrection without crucifixion. When we hear about horrible things that are happening in the world... We almost always frame it in terms of, well, what does it mean for me? How does this affect me? Oh, that's horrible for them, but does it really have an effect on me? Oh, something happened horrible on the other side of the world? Does that have any bearing on my life? 
Instead of seeing how God is with people who are suffering. That's the message of the cross. God in the person of Christ comes to be with us in our sufferings. These fanatical and apocalyptic Christians, they might warn us about how the end is near. But what we've missed is that the real end already happened. It already arrived. It arrived on the cross 2,000 years ago. In many ways, what Jesus is saying to his disciples, what he's saying to all of us, is you might see signs that you think are the end, but they are not the end. Redemption, pointed to through the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, it involves neither rejecting the world and all of its brokenness or trying to fix all the brokenness in the world by stepping in. All that matters for Christians is recognizing that resurrection comes out of death. Yet many of us have fallen prey to the myriad of ways this text has been used to manipulate people, to frighten people, and even coerce people. I'm sure that everyone here at some point has left the church on Sunday morning afraid of God. And that to me sounds like bad news, not good news. Instead of announcing the grace of God, the resurrection of the dead being made available to all people, we lift up words like these as a potential punishment if you don't believe it enough. Instead of resting in the strange grace of God's unending love, we fixate on fixing all of the world's problems with programs that usually just result in more doomed living. Rich people just keep getting richer. Poor people just keep getting poorer. We embark on new campaigns, but the lost, they just keep wandering around more lost than they were before. We announce a new volunteer program, and the least continue to wither away. And I don't know how it all happened. I mean, we can blame sin, we can blame our own self-righteousness. But in the church, for some strange reason, we behave like we will only allow sinners to gather among us so long as they try to act and not look like sinners. It's the weirdest thing in the world. We say, hey, we're a bunch of sinners who are ready for God's grace, but when you come here, you better look like you got your life figured out. You've got to make sure your kids are wearing the right clothes. You've got to make sure you've got a collared shirt on. You've got to make sure you put something on the offering plate. We don't care how bad you think you are. You've got to be perfect when you're in this place. And when we say things like that, when we perpetuate systems of salvation that deny the truth, we wind up saying the world is broken and you have to fix it. For far too long, Christians have left worship on Sunday morning with the understanding that the only way the world can be saved is by getting its act together. Or worse, we leave thinking the only way I can get saved is if I get my life together. Now, sure, we could all do some things to make our lives better. We could all do some things to make the world better. I don't want to knock that stuff, but it's not going to save us. The world has never gotten its act together. We've never gotten our act together. We choose to do things we know we shouldn't, and we avoid doing things we know we should. It doesn't matter how many Sundays we've come to church. That's the disaster of history. We cannot save ourselves, and the world cannot save itself. So when Jesus speaks to his disciples, when he's standing in the shadow of the temple, when he's telling them about things they cannot yet imagine, he is offering for us today a corrective for the ways we've lost sight of the whole thing. Late or soon, the world is going down the drain. Just pick up a newspaper. Anybody here still read a newspaper? Maybe. Pull out your phone. Scroll through your newsfeed. Friends, the world is falling apart. It is going down the drain. As the world spins around the drain, 
Jesus reminds us today that only a Savior who is willing to work at the very bottom of the drain can do anything about it. The world has a future. The church is entrusted with telling the world its future. Much to the chagrin of Hallmark and other pastors and other churches, it's not a future of pie in the sky or pie on the earth. It's resurrection from the dead. That's it. And without death, there can be no resurrection. Whether we like it or not, these words from Jesus, they force us to ask ourselves questions like, who are we and what in the world are we doing at church? Are we like disciples who are tourists and we're just marveling at the big stones of our building? Or are we end-of-the-world police making sure everyone has their act together or else they're going to burn forever? We can begin to scratch at the surface of these questions by saying what the church is not. The church is not an exclusive club of the saved. It is not a gathering of people who have spots on the lifeboats while the world falls apart and burns and drowns around them. It is not a museum for saints. If the church is anything, it is a hospital for sinners. If the church is anything, it is a sign for the whole world that salvation comes to the world, not through me, not through the church, not through anybody except for Jesus. I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like the church is in the midst of a crisis. It should come as no surprise to us here that less and less people come to church week after week. The world really does feel like it's spinning out of control, that it is just getting sucked down the drain faster than it ever has before. But if the church is really in a crisis, it's because we have foolishly convinced ourselves that we are a bunch of good people who are coming together to get better. And that is not at all what the church is. The church is not a bunch of good people getting better to be better. The church is a group of people who are bad. And we are coping with our failure to be good. And if we know that, then Jesus has a word for us today. If we know that we are a bunch of bad people who get together to cope with our inability to be good, then Jesus has something to say. You don't have to put your faith in anything else. You don't have to put it in a political candidate. You don't have to put it in your own moral achievements. You don't have to put it in your spiritual proficiency. You don't have to put your faith in yourself because those things can't and they will never, ever save the world. The only thing you need to do is trust that in the end, it's not up to you. And what better news is there than that? So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>